It's so strange. We don't understand how this happened. We think about the people who are suffering, the workers living day by day. People have nothing to eat. People are at war. How did this happen? Sudan is being torn apart. Hundreds have been killed and thousands forced to flee as Sudan's army and the paramilitary rapid support forces have unleashed violence on Khartoum. Their ruthless generals are ripping the country asunder, sacrificing its people for their political ambitions. Tensions between them have been rising for several years and finally exploded in Sudan's capital. So who are these two warlords? Why are they fighting? And will they ever make peace? I'm Ali Abbas Ahmadi and you're listening to The New Arab Voice. On April 15th, violence between the Sudanese army, led by Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, and the paramilitary rapid support forces, led by Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, popularly known as Hemeti, engulfed Sudan's capital of Khartoum. So far, more than 450 people have died, according to Reuters. On the face of it, the former allies have turned rivals after a deal meant to transition control of Sudan to a civilian government fell through. But their history runs much deeper. Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo Hamiti, he hails from an Arab tribe that uh, moved in from Chad, actually, into Sudan. He gained prominence under Musa Hilal. Musa Hilal is an Arab tribe chieftain in Darfur that was contracted by the former Bashir regime to clear African tribes in Darfur. This is Jihad Mashamun, a Sudanese researcher and a political analyst on Sudanese affairs, speaking to us from the United Kingdom about the leader of the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. Hamiti didn't finish primary school to begin with. He didn't finish. He finished the third grade and dropped out. And then he smuggled people, animals across Sudan, Libyan and Chadian borders. That's what's known about Hamiti. Before he formed the militia under Musa Hilal, and then formed it, became independent of Musa Hilal. Coming from a humble background, Hamiti is said to have caught the eye of the former autocratic president of Sudan and convicted war criminal, Omar al-Bashir. At this time, Hemeti was fighting for the so-called Janjaweed, a collection of Arab tribal militias led by his cousin Musa Hilal, which spearheaded the suppression of a rebellion on behalf of Bashir in the early 2000s in Darfur. The UN estimates around 300,000 people were killed in the fighting, and millions more were displaced. Hemeti's brutal effectiveness and loyalty to Bashir saw him rise through the ranks to become a commander in 2003. The rapid support forces were formally created out of the Janjaweed militias by Bashir's regime in 2013. And when his grip on power was wavering in 2017, he called on the RSF to protect him. Omar Bashir becomes fearful of coup attempts from the army. He brings Hameti into Khartoum and, and has a direct line of communication with Hameti. At this time, Hameti starts to be used for the Gulf War in Yemen, Hameti's forces. And at this time, guess who becomes the commander-in-chief of the land forces? So that's why you see they develop close connections with one another during the Gulf War in Yemen. The RSF joined the fighting in Yemen during the early stages of the conflict 
supporting Saudi Arabia and the UAE in their fight against the Iran-backed Houthi movement. Such was their effectiveness in Yemen, they have continued to receive backing from the Saudis and the Emiratis. Hemeti is largely seen as a mercenary, fighting for Bashir's interests during his Janjaweed days in Darfur, to fighting in Yemen for the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Hemeti at the time everyone used him. At that time everyone was using Hemeti. <laughs> the RSF commander and the Bashir regime worked happily together as partners in crime for a number of years, reaping the benefits of their brutal control. But over the years, their relationship soured. According to reports from the time, Hemeti felt betrayed by the Bashir regime. Hemeti wanted the status of the RSF to be viewed as more than just a mercenary group, a request that Bashir was not willing to grant. Additionally, the RSF did not receive the salaries that they had demanded, nor did they get the ranks that they wanted. When Bashir was thrown out from office in 2019, and the current army chief, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, took power, these resentments continued. Burhan is currently the de facto ruler of the country and, like Himeti, his star rose during Umar al-Bashir's regime. Burhan, I mean, as we said, there's a belief that he was a Baathist officer who turned court and became the member of the Sunnis Islamist movement. And later he was involved in organizing the Darfur genocide. Everyone believes this. There still needs to be evidence to see if it's true or not. Burhan did not rise to international prominence until 2019, but played an active role in the country's military long before that. In the early 2000s, he was posted to Darfur during the conflict, where widespread accusations of genocide and ethnic cleansing were levelled against the Sudanese forces. By 2008, he had been promoted to regional commander. In 2019, a nationwide civilian-led revolution forced the long-time autocrat Umar al-Bashir from office. In the wake of this, Burhan and Hemeti stepped into the power vacuum, promising the transition to a civilian government, which never really came. Bashir was charged by the ICC for the crimes committed during the Darfur genocide, although he still remains in Sudan. Despite their active engagement in the region, Neither Burhan nor Hemeti have faced charges for war crimes committed in Darfur. Since taking office in April 2019, Burhan has been commander-in-chief of Sudan's armed forces. The army has its own institutions, an economic empire on its own. And at the same time, the army is infiltrated by the Sunni Islamist movement that brought the Bashir to power. A leader in the old government, Burhan sought to secure his position and maintain the power he had accrued when he saw Bashir's grip was slipping, and Bashir's indictment in the ICC was likely another catalyst that pushed the army chief to turn against his former boss, as he sought to shield himself from similar charges for his role in Darfur. But as Burhan took power from Bashir, Hemeti now seeks to take power from Burhan. Uh, Burhan got rid of Bashir because I believe he wanted to maintain the regime. Now basically, they don't take kindly into Hameti removing over Bashir, and they always wanted a, a confrontation between Hameti and Burhan, the Sunni's army. After seizing power in 2019, Burhan was the de facto leader of the country. He still technically is, and Hameti became his deputy. But they never really worked together. Their partnership was only a marriage of convenience, according to several experts. In 2019, Hameti Sfour becomes the, technically the vice president, although he appointed himself the vice president of Burhan to give him all the country bags. 
Hopefully, uh, his forces are used to clear up the protest sites in 2019 on the 3rd of June. Hundreds of people have died. Hundreds are missing. Tens of people's bodies are found in the Nile River. Hameti gets the beating for this. If you recall, and if you look at records or reports, Al-Burhan at that time wasn't speaking that much. It was Hameti. So it was obvious that Al-Burhan wanted to use Hameti to get all the political beatings. And Hameti never forgave Al-Burhan for that. Until that's why Hameti is taking it personal now. Never forgive Al-Burhan for abusing him, basically, like this. Their administration was followed by a brief period of civilian rule, which was again toppled by Burhan and Hemeti in October 2021. Subsequent civilian protests have been brutally quashed. But the building resentment between the two leaders came to a head during an attempted deal to once again transition to a civilian government. Their personal and political disagreements eventually exploded earlier this month. So you see now Hemeti, when he started this, he said, we are fighting the traitors. We are fighting the Islamists. He's bringing everything that Sunnis read online. And Al-Burhan is like, we are fighting instant forces of instability in this country. And then you find Al-Burhan's deputy, even one of his deputies, I think, was speaking yesterday. He's like, these are agents of chaos. We will teach them a lesson. So you can see each one of them had it for each other for a long time. I think the proximate cause for the actual outbreak of fighting goes back to the framework agreement that um, had been negotiated uh, by the international community or members of the international community with the two military organizations in Sudan. The, the, uh, this is David Shin, the former U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia and Burkina Faso, who visited Sudan on diplomatic assignments. Uh, in that agreement were proposals for... Um, how the rapid support forces should be integrated uh, into the uh, Sudan armed forces. And one of the sticking, I think, main sticking points was the idea that um, the uh, Sudan armed forces thought this should be done in, in two years, a full integration of the RSF uh, into the SAF in two years. The uh, rapid support forces, or uh, Hamedi, uh, responded, no, no, this will take uh, 10 years. Uh, well, that obviously is a huge difference and uh, it's almost re- unreconcilable. Burhan wished for the RSF to be incorporated into the Sudanese army and put under the state's control. Hemeti wanted to maintain the independence of his group and not be subject to Khartoum. It was the final straw in the breakdown of their relationship. The sudden violence between the army and the RSF has shocked much of the international community. Intense fighting in the capital, including the use of heavy artillery and warplanes, has rocked Khartoum. The fact that this was a very difficult negotiation and might be breaking down uh, was not surprising. But the fact that it led almost immediately to uh, major conflict, including uh, that concentrated in Khartoum, uh, certainly caught me by surprise. I think it caught a lot of other people by surprise. Several foreign powers both in the region and around the world, are watching the developments very closely. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the U.S. aims to stop the fighting as soon as possible. We're working very closely together to deal with the crisis in Sudan, uh, hopefully uh, working toward uh, a more enduring ceasefire, cessation of hostilities, and helping to put uh, Sudan back on the track that it was on to uh, civilian-led government. Many are positioning themselves on one side or another, or both, or neither. 
to make sure their interests can be safeguarded. Early on in the fighting, Saudi Arabia issued a statement saying, The kingdom calls on the military component and all political leaders in Sudan to give priority to the language of dialogue, restraint and wisdom and to unite the ranks in a way that contributes to completing the consensus that has been achieved, including the framework agreement aimed at reaching a political declaration by which political stability, economic recovery and prosperity will be achieved for Sudan and its brotherly people. Uh, The international community is clearly not working together. It's not working in tandem at the moment. And until it does, I don't see any, um, any solution to this. And trying to get this international community together to work to stop it is going to be exceedingly difficult. It may not even be possible. And then you have outside support coming in. Um, the UAE has obviously been involved uh, over the years in supporting um, the RSF, which, of course, had significant numbers of troops operating in Yemen against the Houthis at one point and earning, presumably earning good money for that. Uh, I think that connection with uh, particularly the UAE has continued. Members of the Bashir regime have close ties to Saudi Arabia. His chief of staff, Taha Usman al-Hussein, for example, was appointed by Saudi Arabia as an African affairs advisor after being dismissed by the Sudanese president in 2017. There are just an awful lot of players. And then, of course, Egypt has uh, made very clear its preference for... Uh, al-Burhan and, and the, the traditional uh, Sudanese army, which it has always had a fairly close association with over the, the decades. Uh, so Egypt is involved in, in all of this. This is a real mess. Egypt is watching the developments in its southern neighbor especially closely. One of Cairo's aims is to ensure Sudan is on its side in the dispute with Ethiopia over the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam a massive dam that Addis Ababa is building upstream on the Nile that Egypt claims could have severe repercussions on its water security. But I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly encouraged by how the uh, seven neighbors of, uh, of Sudan will deal with this, because I'm afraid they're looking at it only from the standpoint of their own interests. And the same applies basically to the Gulf states and the, uh, the Arab world further afield. When the coup started in Sudan in October 2021, Washington froze $700 million in direct aid and, according to David Shin, has little leverage over the two sides at war. What the United States can do is basically what uh, Tony Blinken is trying to do, and that's to, to get an interest in the much broader international community to band together with a common position to put pressure on the contending parties to stop it. Uh, to engage in a ceasefire and and to start talking again about the possibility of a civilian government. Uh, The the longer-term goal is still to transition to a civilian government. And that may really be wishful thinking at this point, um, but that's the goal. And I think the U.S. will continue to push for that. Jihad Mashamun believes that Burhan has a greater level of support from foreign states. Burhan is important because he represents an institution, the Sudanese National Army. Hamidi, they see him, he's political more than a soldier. And he's a mercenary. 
Burhan, everyone wants him because he has institutional power with him. At the end of the day, the international community and the regional community, they're going to respect a person who has an institution behind him, not a mercenary. I ask Burhan and Hamedi that today they end the war because the Sudanese people are suffering and they don't deserve this. And I ask you to sit at the negotiation table and to resolve your issues because this is your own conflict, not that of the Sudanese people. God will judge you in this life and the next. As often happens with conflict, the voice of the civilians has been entirely drowned out. Since the vibrant revolution that toppled the dictator Umar al-Bashir, repeated acts of oppression have snuffed out much of the initial hope and been replaced by power-hungry generals vying for control. The transition to civilian rule has gone up in smoke. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I, I think a lot of that is wishful thinking. I'm not sure it was ever going to reach that point, no matter how brilliant the various uh, parties on each side were or the outside negotiators were. And particularly when you have two military organizations in Sudan that are, are still competing for power internally, uh, just among the military, uh, which obviously complicates the situation. Uh, I think a lot of people were probably fooling themselves that this was ever going to work. Both Shin and Mashamun said that the international community must do something to stop the fighting. But it is unclear how they can help the two sides reach a successful peace agreement. But everyone's looking at it from the standpoint of their own interests, uh, not necessarily from the standpoint of the interests of the Sudanese people who are the ones who are really suffering in all of this. And they're suffering horribly. Several countries, including Egypt, Saudi Arabia and Israel, have thrown their hat in the ring to mediate between the two sides. Although who the mediator is, is irrelevant, according to David Shin. And unless the single mediator has the widespread backing, public backing, of most of the international community, I don't think any of them can mediate, at least not successfully. But it doesn't make any difference uh, who it is unless the, the international community is, uh, is agreed almost in totality to support a particular position, which means bringing an enormous amount of pressure, economic pressure particularly, against both sides. Mashamun pointed the finger more firmly at the Gulf states. There, that's the only way. There's another way that this can be resolved, but I doubt it's going to be where they're going to do it, unless America gets involved in this one. Is that Emirates and Saudi Arabia stop the funding? If they stop it, uh, or if the Americans pressure them to stop the to stop Burhan uh, Hamidi, they'll do it. And the Sudanese people, who would they rather ruled from Khartoum? People would rather go with the army rather than a militia leader. Even though Burhan, we all don't like him. They'd rather have a Burhan and deal with him later than Hamiti. Unfortunately, neither Burhan nor Hamiti are good options. And most experts expect the fighting to continue for some time. Frankly, I've come to the conclusion that neither one of these groups has any intention of ever turning control over to a civilian government. It's, uh, it's a very discouraging picture uh, moving forward. This episode of The New Arab Voice was written by me, Ali Abbas Ahmadi, and produced by Hugo Goodridge. 
Our theme music was by Omar Elfil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region. <laughs>